we are getting close to that time where we can start to open up. With some European cities relaxing their rules, how soon BC could reopen too? Salvaging the school year. Anything we do is going to be guided by Dr. Bonnie Henry in the province. How the German model might work here in BC to get kids back to class. And trying to make ends meet. We're going to stay open as long as we can. Trouble blooms for a florist who's struggling to stay in business. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. Health officials are making plans to ease COVID-19 restrictions in this province. That after new numbers provide more evidence, health and safety measures are working in BC. There have been 50 new confirmed cases since Saturday afternoon. That brings our total to 1,998 and sadly three more people have now died. However, as Keith Baldry reports, most of the new cases are linked to known outbreaks and a plan for reopening is forthcoming. We're now making plans to ease restrictions with the understanding of what we might face. After almost two months of living with the restrictions brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic, our new rules of public behaviour appear to be about to pay off. It's clear evidence that our sustained efforts to follow public health measures are working here in BC. That safe physical distancing and self-isolation requirements have slowed the rate of transmission and we're now seeing a decrease in numbers. The overnight numbers continue to be mostly good news as the hospitalization rate remains stable and ICU numbers continue their decline while more and more people recover from the virus. Today the talk was all about reopening BC to some degree. You know, some things will not change. We're not going to um, go back to having lots of people together in enclosed spaces and uh, having meetings and having, uh, you know, those opportunities where people can, um, can mix and mingle and transmit this virus amongst each other and then bring it home to their families and their communities. But even with the coming easing of restrictions, we are not going back to old habits. I think people in British Columbia are waiting to make sure that we're not going too fast and that we're not going to undo all of the important work and sacrifice that we've done in the last few months. Plans are being developed here in British Columbia and have been for the past weeks, but we are taking the time to do them right and to meet the conditions that we have and we are experiencing here in BC. All right, let's bring in Keith Baldry for more. Keith, elective surgeries took a very big hit when this all started, mm -hmm. and so did a lot of other medical procedures. So with things resuming in the near future, what did Health Minister Adrian Dix have to say about those procedures? Yeah, for the first time he's pointed out there's more than just elective surgeries that have gone by the wayside here since this pandemic began. More than 14,000, almost 14,000 elective surgeries have been cancelled or postponed, but there's also hundreds if not thousands of all sorts of tests that have not been done. Blood tests aren't being done, mammograms aren't being done, a cancer screening's not being done. That all is all going to start to pick up as well and the result is there's a lot of people out there who may have some conditions right now they're unaware of because those medical procedures were not accessible. Again, here's Health Minister Adrian Dix. What's clear is urgent surgeries, of which we've done in the neighborhood of 12,000 now, urgent elective and urgent uh, emergent surgeries, or emergency surgeries, um, uh, those, those surgeries I, I think are relatively up to date in those categories. But you know, if we were doing less testing and less screening, there may be 
an unknown number of people who will, can, will require exactly that sort of priority surgery uh, in the coming weeks. So in the coming weeks, you heard the minister there. Again, the target for some of the resumption of these sur uh, surgeries and other services appears to be right now about mid-May, maybe even earlier. Uh, we're going to get an update, of course, on these easing out uh, over the, uh, the next few days. There's certainly be a lot of questions, but I expect within a week we're going to know exactly how this is going to work. As other provinces present their plans, the pressure is on other provinces mm -hmm. to reveal their plans as well, with an increasingly impatient population eager to get back to a new normal, whatever that normal is going to look like. Yeah, for sure. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. All right, so BC's top doctor has given a cautious estimate of mid-May to begin the return to normal. But other provinces and countries are moving out of the COVID-19 lockdown much faster. Aaron MacArthur takes a look at what's happening across Canada and around the world and how that could impact the timeline here in BC. For the first time in six weeks, kids emerged out into the Spanish sunshine. In the UK, Prime Minister Boris Johnson back at work, urging citizens to be patient. This is the moment when we can press home our advantage. It is also the moment of maximum risk. Italy finally over the worst of its initial epidemic, starting to make plans to allow people greater mobility. In Sweden, where there's been more than 2,000 deaths and almost no economic restrictions, Critics say the plan has been too risky. As always, it's difficult to know. We, we hope we can stay on this level now for a while. In Canada, questions are being raised about the next phase of the pandemic. B.C. looking at a reintegration by the middle of next month. And the federal government working with provinces to make sure the reopenings are coordinated. Different provinces and territories will be able to move at a different pace. Quebec has already announced a return to school and daycares. And in Ontario, Doug Ford laying out the necessary steps for reopening there. At this point, it's all just a framework. There are no dates attached. We can't take anything for granted. We can't take unnecessary risks. The danger is things ramp up too quickly. South of the border, the urgency to get back to normal has prompted several states to begin reintroduction of services often against the advice of healthcare experts. I feel safe about it and happy about it. I don't think that there's anything to worry about. Once the restrictions start to ease here at home, scientists and politicians are warning people it will take months to get back to pre-pandemic levels of activity. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, it won't be business as usual, but the Vancouver Park Board is reopening three of its most popular sites. Starting Friday, Fraser View and McCleary Golf Courses and Van Dusen Botanical Gardens will be reopened. The golf courses will be operating with fewer tee times and under strict social distancing protocols. Van Dusen visitors will have to book a time slot and pay online in advance, and the gardens will be limited to just 30 visitors at a time. Well, with many parents still getting into the groove of homeschooling, planning is already underway to possibly reopen schools at some point before summer. But even if it happens, it won't look anything like what students and teachers are used to. Richard Zisman reports. It's a classroom waiting game. Anxious on a decision of when these doors can open for more students. We look for provincial direction, guided by health, 
and then it might look slightly different district by district. The province is still grappling with next steps. There's no timeline yet, but it's getting clearer. I expect that there will be some children coming back to school before the end of this session, but what that looks like is still being, um, still being worked out. But it will be far from normal. Some kids of essential workers are currently in classrooms. Dr. Henry ultimately set to make decisions on a wider return, pointing towards including the kids of parents who must go back to work. When she decides um, it's okay to open schools, um, we'll have some plans in place and we'll have to make sure that we have the highest standards of health and safety there. In Quebec, where there have been many more cases than here in British Columbia, the plan is to reopen elementary schools on May 11th. The classes will be smaller and high schools will remain closed until September. You know, Quebec is, is, has their own pandemic that they're dealing with and they have their own uh, approach to it. There is a conversation happening over whether teachers and administrators will be wearing personal protective equipment, something the province is not expected to require. That would be our preference, um, but the government is saying it's not necessary. Although the Vancouver School Board uh, is uh, providing gloves, uh, sanitizer, uh, cleaning agents, etc. Okay. In Germany, classes are back in, but things look different. Less kids in the class, assigned seating, all things BC is considering, especially with the fear of a second wave in the fall. What do we do if we get to November and, um, and we are back in session fully, and then this all ramps up. How would we fall back? A question health officials and all British Columbians hope never needs to be answered. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau updated Canadians today on the COVID-19 crisis. The federal government rolled out its $73 billion wage subsidy program today, and it didn't take long for thousands of businesses to apply. There have been over 300,000 views of the online calculator we launched last week to help businesses prepare a claim. And since the portal opened at 6 a.m. this morning, almost 10,000 businesses have already applied for it. That gives you a sense of just how many people this program will help. Right across the country, it's going to keep businesses and workers connected. No shortage of questions tonight about how the B.C. government is going to follow through on its promise to dismantle homeless camps in Vancouver and Victoria. Global's Grace Key spoke to the minister spearheading the effort about the seemingly endless complications and criticism that the plan will leave most vulnerable people behind. Efforts are now underway to move more than 250 people from Oppenheimer Park into hotel rooms amid the COVID-19 pandemic. About five people moved on Sunday, with about a dozen expected each day until the end of May. Part of that is because uh, the folks at the hotels who are ready to receive them, uh, wanting to make sure that they have a lot of time to be able to bring people in, to settle them in, to, uh, to do that and not to overwhelm the staff. The province stepped in under the Emergency Program Act. People will have their own living space, meals, storage, cleaning, primary health care and addiction and mental health services. The mental health and addiction resources that we will have on the ground as people are moved will include working with them to get access uh, to safe prescription medications as an alternative to the poison drug supply. Due to privacy concerns, the hotels are not being identified. Violence and drug use has been a concern at the park. Security and police will be on hand. As for anyone who refuses to leave, that will be addressed if needed. We're going to see what the scale of that is 
And clearly, um, after probably after the 9th of May, there'll be a decision, but the order is very clear. The public safety order is clear. It's clear that we're to, uh, uh, to decamp that site, and that will be what occurs. Rooms will be available for about three to six months. The province is looking at options to house people for the long term, saying no one will be back on the streets. Grace Key, Global News. Police say they have recovered the body of a new Westminster woman who's been missing since February. Nurla Sharma was last seen at her Queensborough home on February 23rd. Soon after that, police launched an extensive search for the 44-year-old mother, while friends and family canvassed nearby areas. Yesterday afternoon, Sharma's body was found along the shoreline of the Fraser River, just on the border of New Westminster and Burnaby. Foul play is not suspected, but the cause of death is under investigation. Several gravestones, some of them more than a century old, have been vandalized. Someone knocked down and destroyed the nearly one meter tall gravestones located in Surrey Centre Cemetery sometime last week. The damaged grave markers include families like McCallum and Elliot with deep roots in our province. The stories of those families are the subject of local cemetery tours. Representatives of the Surrey Historical Society tweeting they are extremely saddened and can't understand why someone would do this. Well, the spring runoff is too much for some BC communities to handle. Oh, oh my God! Where erosion and flooding are adding to the misery in just over a minute. The Pentagon finally admits what had been rumored for years. Declassified video showing something very mysterious later on the news hour. And after nearly 65,000 votes, we start unveiling who you think are the all-time best players in Canucks history. It's coming up later in sports. Right now, though, as the B.C. interior continues to deal with rising river water and evacuations, there is new concern now for the quality of water in the Fraser River. As Catherine Urquhart reports, officials in Williams Lake are worried erosion and a possible landslide could send raw sewage into the Fraser. Onlookers were stunned when they witnessed this near Quinnell. Oh, oh my God! An entire hillside breaking off Friday after extreme flooding of a creek caused extensive erosion. It was slowly chipping away when we first got there, so within five minutes we were seeing stuff falling off the bank, and then that big fall happened about an hour after we arrived. <gasps> it was the second time flooding has damaged the area in as many years. A number of roads in the region are now closed. Near Williams Lake in the River Valley, a 1 in 200 year flow rate resulted in a sewer line break on Sunday. Crews are rushing to repair the line as it spills 61 liters a second of partially treated sewage. Officials worry the sewage could end up in the Fraser River. The last I heard from, from our lagoon system down to the Fraser, we have lost all our, our crossing, our bridges. So that's going to be a huge, huge expense to, to put them back in. Residents are being asked to limit water use. Meanwhile, 86 residences at a mobile home park remain on evacuation alert. 11 industrial properties are still on evacuation order. 20-some years ago, we had a slide in that area, and, and that is part of the area that could be jeopardized if the water comes up too high and starts sloughing away that bank. So we just put them on alert, just to be ready, just in case. Most ranchers continue to keep their animals on higher ground. 
and with more rain in the forecast, everyone is closely monitoring the unusually high water levels. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Well, as we head into forest fire season, the BC Forest Service is quickly revamping many of its procedures so that it can fight fires and keep people safe from COVID-19. Ted Trenecki tells us how it'll change both how firefighters will tackle the fires and how any potential evacuees will be handled. Despite the historic wildfires in Australia and the devastation in California last year, BC had a relatively quiet fire season. But what happened down under and in California tell experts that last year's respite is temporary. Adding to the complexities of fighting fast-moving fires, the pandemic. Currently undergoing a, a major rewrite of the Emergency Management Act for all of British Columbia. So there's been a recognition that improvements uh, uh, need to be made. At evacuation centers in the past, Residents had to line up every three days and fill out tens of thousands of documents, often coordinated by volunteer seniors. Not this year. Volunteers don't have to be on site at the, uh, at, at the, uh, at the centre. They can uh, work remotely and they don't have to do as much interaction with people. Those encampments will have to be different too, with greater spacing between tents and smaller clusters, but more of them. One person per tent, more sanitizing stations. And bringing in out-of-province help may be problematic. It is possible that um, out-of-province and out-of-country deployments could change, so that may impact uh, the BC folks' ability to go to other provinces or other countries, and it may impact our ability to import resources as well. A Winnipeg Coordination Centre will manage resources and could require COVID testing before travel. BC already has province-wide open fire restrictions in place. The reason for those really is related to the COVID-19 pandemic and minimizing the number of human-caused wildfires that our crews need to respond to and also reducing their risk of exposure. And of course, the big unknown, the weather. Well, many of us hope for a warm, sunny summer at the BC Wildfire Service. They're hoping for it to be cool and wet in June. Ted Chernock, Global News. Still ahead, weary healthcare workers share some dramatic stories. We're working so quickly to react. Why the overwhelming workload isn't even the worst part of being on the COVID front lines. And no visitors, please. Protesters stop ferry traffic in a place that couldn't handle a COVID outbreak. Traffic is in great shape both ways this evening at the Alex Fraser Bridge. No backups between Richmond and Delta. Keep in mind, though, there are some overnight lane closures on the bridge deck. At Kermit Collision and Autoglass, the safety and well-being of their employees, customers, and community is our top priority. For essential vehicle repair information, please visit Kermit.com. An unwelcome greeting for a group of ferry passengers arriving on Haida Gwaii this afternoon. Island residents set up this checkpoint near the dock in Skidigat when the northern expedition arrived from Prince Rupert. They urged the several dozen tourists and non-essential visitors to get back on the ferry when it leaves later tonight, citing fears over the spread of COVID-19. We don't have the medical resources and we don't have the luxury of going to another community for extra medical support. Uh, the very limited we, resources we have can barely handle our island people, so we don't have room to help others at this point right now. 
More questions tonight about the circumstances surrounding the death of Arise Knight. The 40-year-old died last week in Peace Arch Hospital of non-COVID-19 related causes. Knight suffered from cerebral palsy and was non-verbal, but her family says she was able to communicate with her support worker. They are questioning why that caregiver wasn't allowed into the hospital with her. And now, one prominent disability advocate says only a few weeks ago he warned something like this would happen. John Wah reports. Was it policy confusion or political inaction that led Arise Knight to die in hospital without family or support staff by her side? This case was 100% predictable, 100% preventable. Support staff for the 40-year-old with cerebral palsy could interpret her eye movements and facial expressions, Knight's only means of communication. But they were barred as non-essential visitors under COVID-19 hospital restrictions, despite Knight not having the virus. Unless you knew Arise communicates with her eyes and you were focusing on her 100%, you would, you would miss those little subtle cues. Now Global News has learned disability advocates had been sounding the alarm with senior provincial health ministry officials for more than a month, warning patients like Knight needed access to support in a hospitalized setting. The response was to defer to others with no commitment to follow up themselves. When Global News asked the provincial health officer last week about essential visitor guidelines, the directions seem clear. We do believe that there is accommodation being made. My expectation is there accommodation being made. The next day, a clarification that seemed to only add to the confusion. I also trust the most responsible clinicians to make the decision about when exceptions are clinically necessary given each individual circumstance. By deferring this decision to clinicians, Future deaths are inevitable. It was deferring that decision that led to this Fraser Health statement about a Reese Knight. In this case, medical staff determined that additional support for communication was not required. They basically came to the conclusion that this person didn't need to speak up for themselves at all. And that's, to me, that's very scary. Family and disability advocates asking how many more like a Reese Knight will have to die alone before someone finally listens. John Hua, Global News. At 7 every evening, a province-wide cheer goes up for the healthcare workers on the front line of the COVID crisis. And tonight, a chance to get to know them a little better. Sarah McDonald spoke to the people behind the masks and face shields. Real people with fears and families they're forced to put aside every day to fight the pandemic. We've come to know them like this and thank them like this. That's awesome. It's really heartfelt and it's not something we ever expected. We've had the sirens come around the hospital, which is always really inspiring. To be honest, it, it means so much. It really brings, a, it, we have cried in our office about it. It really brings a tear to our eyes. So we hear you and thank you. Our healthcare heroes on the front lines of a collective unprecedented fight all too often remain faceless and nameless while risking themselves to protect us. Do you worry for yourself and for your family's health? If I'm doing what I'm supposed to, then no. Of course, they're not in it for the recognition, but we know they deserve it now more than ever. My personal life is a little complicated because with four kids ranging from the age of two to 10, um, there isn't sort of a one-stop shop for childcare right now. And I have also worked extra hours and come in on weekends. And so I do miss my 
my kids and they miss me. And they're letting Fiona McLeod know it the old fashioned way. My eight year old daughter actually wrote a really sweet note to me. Grasping the magnitude of mom's job, caring for the most critically ill COVID-19 patients. I just want you to know you're so awesome. And I really, really want you to know how much we all love you. They can say the word pandemic. Um, they know what germs are. Um, and they're, they're old enough to know that this is, this is a big deal. The lining of the chest wall can get very thick from inflammation. Dr. Greg Helgen's kids know he's a big deal too, leading the charge against COVID in the critical care unit. The biggest challenge has just been the time away from my kids, the fact they're not in school. You know, I'm taking the time I need, which is always a challenge, to, to balance the work and, uh, and my marriage and my kids. Um, because everybody, you know, if, if I'm working hard, then, then I'm not there to help. And then these are chili. That's where unique initiatives are quickly becoming tradition. Restaurants delivering hot meals to hospitals. You are most welcome. Thank you guys for all you're doing. And that rousing evening chorus of thousands. Just a couple of weeks ago, on the weekend, I was able to um, go for a walk and I heard it outside, I think it really brought tears to my eyes. Those cheering the loudest, no doubt the ones who know firsthand the sacrifices their partners and parents are making. The older ones that can articulate it tell me that they're proud of me. And if anything, I can be a really good role model for them, then I've done my job as a mom. I'm just really happy when my... My kids come screaming and running towards me and are excited when I get home. Caring for all of us and our loved ones at the expense of being with theirs. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Big shout out to them. For sure. Still ahead, a florist struggling to keep her business blooming. This snowballed like crazy into a mini garden center. Why her pop-up flower shop is now the target of a crackdown. And the surprise symptom doctors are seeing more and more in COVID-19 patients. On Vancouver Island tonight, the municipality of Saanich is under fire for cracking down on curbside businesses. Some stands have popped up at people's homes. The entrepreneurs behind them say they're just trying to get by during this crisis. Everybody is loving them. This florist started a flower stand outside her Saanich home after her summer wedding gigs cancelled due to COVID. I made a post on Facebook one night to give away my flowers. And people cleaned her out on day one. This snowballed like crazy into a mini garden centre. But Saanich bylaw showed up and O'Farrell was given 30 days to shut down. Well, it's the stand that got shut down last year. Catherine Little is the jam lady. She was shut down last summer after setting up this in her front yard. We fought a, a good battle, but we, we lost. And we acknowledge that, yes, the bylaw does not allow for retail sales on your private property. We get that. But the bylaw needs to be changed. I think this would be a good time to test this as an emergency measure. Saanich councillor Natalie Chambers also runs Madrona Farms. Um, created a drive through veggie stand and literally we can't keep up with it. Chambers is tabling a notice of motion Monday to temporarily allow the selling of homegrown fruits, flowers, vegetables and homemade crafts on private property in Saanich. Um, residents um, who are struggling and I'm hearing it and it's hard. Um, 
they need an opportunity to supplement their income. O'Farrell admits it's busier around her house. I never want to piss off my neighbors, but I'm a firm believer that we need to rethink why it's not allowed. No word on whether the motion applies to this youngster's Saanich joke stand. What do you get when your dog makes your breakfast? What? You get pooched eggs. Of course, it's no joke for those trying to make ends meet. If the motion passes Monday, it will be voted on May 4th. Brad McLeod, Global News, Saanich. Many doctors are noticing a disturbing symptom in COVID-19 patients, blood clots, and they can show up all over the body. From the legs and major organs to micro clots in the lungs and the brain. In the worst cases, the problem can lead to respiratory failure, stroke, and even amputation. I am seeing a higher rate of what we call venous thromboembolism, blood clots, either in the legs or in the lungs or, or elsewhere. Um, and I'm encountering it way more than I would typically encounter it in a similar patient population. Dr. Rick Pescator is an emergency physician. He's used to seeing pretty much everything in the ER, but COVID-19 continues to offer new lessons. Here's how blood clots work. If I get it cut, clotting is the body's natural response to stop the bleeding and form a scab. But if that happens abruptly in a vein or an artery, that can cause a blockage and be life-threatening. We have autopsy studies now that are showing microthrombi, tiny, very small clots that are found diffusely throughout the lungs and, and even in the brain as well. A study by MIT found more than 70% of people killed by COVID-19 had clots blocking small blood vessels. This viral infection is so intense that it not only inflames certain parts of the organ like the lung tissue, but the lung blood vessels and blood vessels throughout the body, including the kidney and the heart and the venous system in your legs and your arms. So even arterial, arterial uh, clots can occur, which is rare to see with, with uh, infections overall. Dr. Gerard Kreiner has also been seeing more cases of blood clots at Temple University Hospital, leading him in some cases to use medication proactively. What we will do is that we will anticoagulate people much more aggressively than we did in the past. And in some cases, we'll fully anticoagulate the patient with blood thinners just to decrease the complications of clotting. Still ahead, the UFO footage the Pentagon didn't want you to see. It's rotating. Why the U.S. government is finally declassifying this video. And in sports, revealing the all-time Canucks roster as voted by you, the fans. Who would you have between the pipes? Very quiet over here at the Peace Arch border crossing this evening. Of course, all non-essential traffic has been banned across the border. So only truck traffic getting through over at the Pacific Highway truck crossing. You can expect to wait 20 minutes south if, it, if it's a truck. Sussex Insurance are your auto plan experts. For insurance renewals, changes, or other ICBC transactions, all from home, just visit sussexinsurance.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Peace Arch border. All right, take, out, take a look at this shot live from the Global One helicopter of a whale swimming near the White Rock Pier right now. It's a shy whale. It's <laughs> just gone underwater again with the thing. Oh, there he is, or she is. We're not sure. But what a sight from our Global One chopper. Thank you, Trish, for locking in on that thing. Of course, we can't go down to the pier right now to see it, so this is the next best thing. That's right.
Cool. Well, crews north of Lillooet are racing against Mother Nature tonight to restore a critical salmon run on the Fraser River. Linda Aylesworth has the latest on the efforts to clear the big bar slide and the thrill ride like technology that could be used to help salmon get to their spawning grounds. It's been nearly a year since the discovery of what's become known as the big bar landslide up the Fraser River near Lillooet. Today it continues to threaten the survival of some of BC's most important salmon runs. This is a dire issue and, uh, and that's, uh, that's why all the parties here are, are putting, uh, putting in the effort and, and the resources and the funding to, to solve it. Last year, work to clear the obstruction had to be stopped when water levels rose to unmanageable levels. But earlier this year, with water levels substantially lower, the blasting continued, as did plans to help migrating salmon pass the slide. The idea was that we didn't, no point did we want to be able to rely only on one single system to get fish through the slide area. So they came up with several. One that would work, with any luck, when the river was running at a more moderate level, a nature-like fishway. This nature-like fishway is a, a series of boulders that were strategically placed on the west side of the riverbank. Um, they are now completely covered as the water has risen. Those submerged boulders create areas of calm water that the salmon can use to take breaks during their swim past the slide. But when the raging water becomes too great, as it will as the snow caps melt, another plan. The lease of a pneumatic fish pump has been uh, executed, and that has been arranged with a company out of Seattle called Woosh Innovations. But first, a ladder must be built out of hundreds of enormous concrete blocks. It will allow the salmon to reach a holding pool, where one by one they'll be slipped into a water-filled tube and propelled with air pressure beyond the raging torrent upstream. They anticipate using the whoosh system between May and August. We don't need to move fish. We will be letting them migrate on their own. We will only be putting our alternative fish passage systems into play um, when we detect that there's a, a delay in the migration. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. It's amazing underwater video, isn't it? All right. May the 4th be with you indeed. Good news for Star Wars fans. The Rise of Skywalker will begin streaming early. Details right after Christie's forecast. That's good because we've almost run out of things to watch. <laughs> TV is finished. <laughs> We've watched Except it. for the news hour. Except yeah, for the news hour. Okay, uh, yes, Christy Gordon is in North Vancouver once again with what a weird, mm -hmm. I mean, it's weird, but it's spring and April, so the, this is what you'd expect this time of year. That's right. We do tend to get a little bit of everything this time of year. We started off with rainfall and now it's beautiful out here, but not all areas are seeing complete sunshine right now. And we had a number of thunderstorms in the interior today, as you did probably see them over the weekend as well. Look at this shot from Williams Lake. Lorene calling it rising waters and stormy skies. That's what this region really has been contending with for the last couple of days. Mamata's clouds spotted in the Kootenai Lake area. Thank you to Dorothy for sharing that with us. That's the type of cloud you get under really intense thunderstorms. So I thought this would be a good time to remind you it's important to go inside if you hear thunder, stay away from windows, and also stay away from tall objects like trees or foam poles or even metal objects like metal uh, wire fences. Uh, cars can protect you a little bit, so if you don't have a home to go inside to, go inside a car. Now, I am concerned about the interior regions that are still under a flood warning as we head into Wednesday. Tomorrow, we are going to see a 
number of showers in those regions, but the bulk of the rainfall will be along the coast. But as we head into Wednesday, those areas are going to see significant rain, so we'll be watching that area closely. So there's your tomorrow, everyone. Again, bulk of the rainfall along the coast, showers expected inland. For the south coast region, the rainfall will push into Vancouver Island first. Lower mainland will see it in the afternoon, and we will see two days of rainfall tomorrow and Wednesday, but then Thursday and Friday, it looks like we're back to some sunshine. And I'll leave you with a spring-like shot. I love this shot of a family of geese. So you can see five goslings there. Thank you to Sandy in Saanich for that. All right, guys, back to you. Oh, thanks very much, Christy. So cute. All right, many people are watching more television than usual right now as they stay home and try to flatten the curve. And there's very good news tonight for Star Wars fans. Disney Plus has announced that Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker will begin streaming two months earlier than originally planned. It will be available for subscribers on, of course, May the 4th. Movies usually wait about seven months between the film being in theaters and when it arrives on a streaming service, but that has changed due to what else? The coronavirus. A lot has changed due to the coronavirus, <laughs> hasn't it? All right, Squire joins us now with a look ahead to sports. What's going on, Squire? There's no Baby Yoda in that one. No, that's the Mandalorian. The Lost track of all the, the characters. Uh, <laughs> Tonight we'll reveal the all-time Canuck net miners. Tomorrow it'll be the defenseman. Maybe Quinn Hughes will make that team. If he does, he'd like to thank Chris Tannen. I think he's one of the most underrated guys in the league. I think he's unreal. Hughes talking about how his pairing up with Chris Tanev really helped him in his rookie season. Also coming up, even seasoned pilots couldn't explain what they were looking at. The UFO videos just declassified by the Pentagon. the culmination of a massive project by the global bc sports department a covid project there <laughs> are no true. current sports we'll talk about dream teams well yeah why not we have a chance let's do it so for the last few weeks we uh, asked you at home to go on to our global news website and pick an all-time canucks roster and when we say an all-time roster we mean 20 guys two goalies Six defensemen, four centers, eight wingers. We didn't specify left wing or right wing, just pick eight. And over 65,000 Canuck fans helped us out. 65,000 Canuck fans, enough to fill BC Place and have a bunch of people standing outside wish they can got in. And we appreciate that. So starting tonight, we will start showing you who your all-time Canucks team is, beginning with the two net miners that you voted for, which I have to tell you, we're both overwhelming choices. From the very first year, 1970, until now, the Vancouver Canucks have had 61 different goalies play at least one game. They've had an Archie, a snowman, a carrot, a sideshow, a cat, and a king in the nets. And quite frankly, a lot of people think that King Richard Brodeur could have been given a spot on this all-time team. What a save by Brodeur. And 
time a little prejudice towards, of course, King Richard and what he meant to us in 82. He probably should have won the Conn Smythe that year. Mike Bossy won it, but if it wasn't for Richard and the games he played and the way he played, I, I don't know if we would ever got to the final. But as great as he was, voters went with Roberto Luongo and Kirk McLean as the Canucks all-time goalies. They both took the Canucks as close as you can get to a Stanley Cup without winning. And they had different methods of doing it. Luongo was the modern style, getting down low when needed. McLean was a stand-up. He didn't do the butterfly. And according to his teammates, didn't have many butterflies either. He was always cool. Uh, he's, he's weird, you know that. <laughs> All around weird. Uh, I don't know, and it seemed like it helped him. <laughs> Good weird. But uh, yeah, no, he, he, was, he was so cool. Uh, he never ba panicked. You could take a little bit more risk when you knew you had the goalie there offensively, and Kirk gave us that confidence, and that's what it takes to win. Which is pretty much what players said about Roberto Luongo. He is Vancouver's all-time leader in wins. He's the all-time leader in shutouts. He was team captain for a while. He was the golden goalie of 2010, and he understood the 11th commandment, thou shalt not quit. His compete was is off the charts. Uh, you know, he never gave up on anything. You know, he was like a, like a Dominic Hasek. You know, uh, his work ethic was second to none. You know, always when I was done watching practice, he was always first guy out, last guy off. You know, I admired that about him. So those are your goalies, Luongo and McLean, and not many would disagree. You know, first of all, two great ambassadors for the organization, right? Like to to, to represent the organization, those guys are are. Uh, you know, do everything they can. You know, obviously, when when Bobby was here, he did everything he could for the for the team, and and Kirk's still doing the work. Uh, you know, with the alumni group now. So, um, yeah, those those guys uh, being representative of this organization is is you know went across the board. So tomorrow night, defenseman, maybe the guy beside me will be on that team. Uh, the NHL had another one of those multiplayer Zoom press conferences today. This one for rookie defensemen, Adam Fox, Kale McCarr, and Quinn Hughes. Of course, Hughes and McCarr are the two front runners for Rookie of the Year honors this year, whenever they give that award away. The uh, reason Hughes says he had such a good season in his rookie campaign was because he was on the ice a lot with veteran Chris Tanev. Yeah, um, I've been fortunate to have... Uh, Chris Tanev is my partner, and I think he's one of the most underrated guys in the league. I think he's unreal, and um, he's really smart. And if you watch him in the Ozone, he's, he doesn't get enough credit. I think he's really smart and gifted, and um, we kind of work off each other pretty well. So, um, And we're tight off the ice, so I think that always helps. So, um, you know, very lucky that I got him my first year. All right, as we said, defenseman tomorrow. There you guys go. Looking forward to it. All right, thanks, Squire. Thanks, Squire. Let's check in with Jay Durant for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you, Sophie. An employee at a busy South Surrey Walmart has tested positive for COVID-19, and the big box store says workers identified as close contacts have been directed to self-isolate. Plus, the city of Port Coquitlam is reopening its playing fields with restrictions. We'll tell you who can use them. And after a recent tragedy, the city of Vancouver has removed most of the porta-potties from this downtown eastside corner. Staff expedited an evaluation of temporary washroom options after a newborn baby was found deceased inside one last week. Well, those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Jay. When we come back, our salute to our health care heroes and... 
declassified UFO video you've got to see to not believe. <laughs> the Pentagon has now declassified three top secret videos of unexplained aerial phenomena confirming the clips that first leaked in 2017 are legitimate. Fighter pilots captured these images during training flights in 2004 and 2015. One of the pilots told reporters in 2017 that he believed what he saw was not from this world. And that's all he said. Now, there's no official explanation accompanying the release, and the object is still characterized as unidentified. Unidentified hmm. sound effects on that story as well. UAP, <laughs> I like UAP instead of UFOs. UFOs sounds like quackery, but UAP <laughs> is better. All right, it's time to get a big thank you or give a big thank you to our BC Healthcare heroes on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. We have been asking for your nominations and tonight's comes from Gordy. Gordy says his wife Louise is his hero and his healthcare hero. Louise is a 15-year home support worker. She's been on the front lines working for her patients through wildfires and now through COVID-19. Gordy says Louise works tirelessly every day, never complaining, wearing her PPE at all times and even traveling from client to client, helping many who can't take care of themselves. Gordy gives full credit to all home support workers who travel many miles every day through all weather conditions no matter what, your husband thanks you, Louise, and we thank you for your hard work and dedication during these particularly stressful times. So if you have a healthcare hero as well that you'd like to nominate, send us a couple of pictures and some information about why they're your hero. Send it to bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca. Gordy wins points. He sure does. <laughs> well done, Gordy. All right, let's check in with uh, Christy Gordo for a quick look at the weather <laughs> forecast. Christy. Well, it's a beautiful evening out here right now. As we head into tomorrow, the day will start off dry, but expect rain by the afternoon. So don't leave home without a rain jacket. Okay, back to you. Good okay. advice. Thanks, or don't Christy. stay home without a rain jacket. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, have a great night, everybody. Good night, all.